0: Now, today we shall do something else. Uh, so rather than having an ordinary uh, Dhamma discourse, we'll have a Q and a Q&A, a question and answer session. Um, and actually quite a number of uh, questions uh, have been asked. And then uh, if uh, Uh, put them into different categories three categories namely uh, one category of uh, questions consisting of practice related questions so directly concerning your practice then we have a few more theoretical uh, questions so we'll leave this uh, those a little bit and uh, then we have a few questions about mindfulness and certain related things, or mindfulness, etc., related to daily practice, daily practice at home. And towards the end of the retreat, there will be probably a talk on that, and then I can include certain of those questions at that point. If you could search, wait that long, <laughs> I'd be delighted. If not, then I will have to address some of them. Now, in terms of you know, the practice, Satna related Satna questions, we have two on a wise attention, Yoni Sotnatmanasikara, both good Satna questions. Actually, they are all good Satna questions. And Sutna uh, then, uh, so I'll try to answer this. Sutna uh, then a question on uh, labeling, and then a question on, uh, what was it here, on Anatta, then a question on uh, the imperfections of insight, and certain, uh, then, and then towards the end, uh-oh. Oh a question about the breaking up of formations, then one on right certain perception, and then at uh, closer to the end, we'll have a question on mental defilements, uh, namely the latent or dormant defilements, anusia Achillesis. And at the very end, uh, well, a question about uh, Criteria you know, that certain meditation teachers you know, sh- a minimum criterion that a m- meditation teacher should certainly fulfill, plus one question about insight knowledge, we will have to, I'll have to ask uh, uh, something first now, the first question in the context of the pastna practice, what is yoni so And how can one use it in the practice? To start out with the definition of this particular mental factor, so it's one of the 52 mental factors, jetasikas, and the pali word literally means making in the mind, and attention is the mental a factor responsible for the mind's advertence to you know, the object, by virtue of which you know, the object is made present to you know, consciousness. Now to give you to give you a really simple illustration for this that might help partner with the understanding. If for instance um, right now there would be a huge explosion over there, maybe some gas cylinder uh, explodes, then your attention would go where? <laughs> your attention would go just in that certain direction and some uh, so your attention goes in you know, that direction, it turns in that, you know, that direction, and suddenly with it you know, the you know, concomitant certain mental factors will all be uh, turned you know, that way. And so, uh, thus suddenly then that loud certain sound is certainly made present, certainly to you know, consciousness. However, if uh, more or less at the same time there is uh, maybe some minor event, uh, negligible event happening more or less over here, well, uh, uh, it doesn't call your attention, it doesn't strike uh, the mind in any way. And the uh, you know, consciousness does not get uh, directed that way or turned that way, but rather uh, you know, to where you know, the explosion uh, is happening. The characteristic of uh, attention manasikara is uh, you know, the conducting sarana in of of the associated mental states towards the object. So its function is to yoke the associated states to the object. It is manifested as confrontation with an object and its proximate cause is the object itself. And attention is compared to the rudder, of a ship which directs it to its destination. Or a second uh, comparison is uh, that of a charioteer who uh, sends uh, the well-trained horses, uh, which should, uh, then stand for the associate mental states, towards uh, their destination, namely the object of uh, observation. Now. The comprehensive manual of uh, the Abhidhamma, compiled based on uh, the uh, what is it, uh, Abhidhammatattha Sangha, uh, so that's the English mm, 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 uh, version of it. Mm, now, then, further explains that. Attention, manasikara, should be distinguished from the mental factor vitakka, which is the aiming or the initial application of the mind. So, in the case of manasikara, it turns the associated mental states towards the object, whereas in the case of vitakka, it then applies them on the object. So these are um, very subtle differences in you know, the working of the mind. Now, attention, manasikara, is uh, an indispensable mental factor present in all states of fatna consciousness. So it's one, and actually the last one, the seventh one, of Fatna, you know, the seven uh, universals. Whereas in the case of Wittaka, so, as it up, I'd like to experience the aiming or in the context of the jhana's initial application of the mind. This is a specialized factor that occurs on occasion, but is not certainly indispensable. Now, when it comes to manasikara, a further distinction is certainly being made, namely into what wise attention and unwise attention. So wise attention is your yonisot manasikara and satna. unwise attention is certainly your ayonisotna manasikara. The question is, and how can we use it in the practice? First of all, this mental factor of attention plays a really important role. It plays an important role in the context of the five hindrances, and it also uh, plays an important role in the context of the enlightenment factors. Now, to give you maybe one or two examples, how it is being mm, talked about in the forty-sixth collection of the Samyutta and and Discourse certain Fifty-One. Namely, let's talk about I mention, about the nourishment of sensual desire, the first hindrance, and there it says, there are beautiful objects frequently frequently giving unwise attention to them. This is the nourishment for the arising of sensual desire that has not yet arisen. And it's the nourishment for the increase and strengthening of sensual desire that has already arisen. So, this would be a case of unwise attention, in the Pali scriptural language. If we keep thinking about food and about going to a fancy restaurant with exquisite meals, this will uh, lead to what? Gluttony. Oh, pardon me? Gluttony. Oh, gluttony, there you go. It might lead a retreat and, and to maybe uh, prematurely quit the retreat and go to the next uh, uh, special or, or famous restaurant. So if you direct your attention in the wrong way towards something that uh, uh, actually stimulates desire, well, then you're uh, basically asking for trouble. Mm. So you can do this, you can say this uh, with regard to food, you can uh, take this unwise attention with regard to uh, clothing, some fancy clothing that you're you know, dreaming about to you know, to possess and you can you know, uh, you know, use this ioniso, manasikara with regard to anything desirable. Now the same a discourse from the Nikaya goes on to speak of the denourishing of sensual desire. And it says, there are impure objects used for meditation, frequently paying or giving wise attention to them. This is the denourishing Of the arising of sensual desire that has not yet arisen, and the denourishing of the increase and strengthening of sensual desire that has already arisen. Now, impure objects used for meditation, such as the contemplation on the impurity of the body contemplation on uh, death and uh, the like. Or even uh, contemplating on uh, the impermanence of uh, formations, especially beautiful uh, formations, that too might help to denourish the hindrance of sensual desire. Now, alone the same line, unwise attention, and certain wise attention are used for each and every of, of the five hindrances. Now to give you maybe two more examples, one is unwittingly, a retreatant might think, after a good sitting session, it's okay to stretch out, maybe even to lie down in the meditation hall. You might certainly think that it's perfectly all right to then Mm, indulge, or or to uh, let the sluggishness unfold. Uh, that is perfectly all right to uh, sit in meditation and suddenly uh, fall asleep, etc. So this is basically allowing those certain things to happen. The corresponding passage again. In, or from the Samyotanikaya is there arises listlessness, lass- lassitude, lazy stretching of the body, drowsiness after meals, mental sluggishness, frequently giving unwise attention to those. This is the nourishment for the arising of sloth and sudden torpor that have not yet arisen and for the increase and strengthening of sloth and torpor that have already arisen. Now on the other hand we have the denourishing of fatna sloth and torpor and satna this comes by way of fatna the element of exertion so one of fatna the uh, there's the element of arousing one's energy the element of exertion the element of continuous exertion. So the initial effort, the boosted or increased effort and finally the culminating effort with which one gains uh, the Dhamma, frequently giving wise attention to one or the other of these mm, forms of exertion. This is the denourishing of the arising of sloth and torpor that have not yet arisen and Of the increase and strengthening of sloth and torpor that have already arisen. The third case would be, or example, would be that of restlessness. Of worry and certain remorse, or you could say of having an agitated mind. So accepting this and thinking it's quite normal to, or quite normal, quite okay to. And have such an agitated state of mind. Well, with this sudden, you allow it, and to go on, and possibly even, and to get sudden stronger. And so that then involves unwise attention or careless attention, and to. To this restlessness and remorse and certain agitation. But on the other hand, the denourishment comes with frequently giving careful or wise attention to things like. Um, peacefulness of fatna mind, namely, you know, tranquility. So, if one does that, you know, then that is you know, that leads to the denourishment and of fatna you know, the agitation, and it also prevents certain unarisen restlessness and remorse from arising, and arisen restlessness and remorse you know, from increasing and expanding. So the same thing, the same principle, you can apply to the second hindrance of ill will. You can also apply to the fifth and last hindrance, namely that of skeptical doubt. Now... Wise attention plays yet another important role when it comes to the arousing of and development of each and every of the enlightenment factors. One such passage is a passage on. Arousing the enlightenment factor of effort, Viriya Sambojanga, is taken from the fifth volume of the Samyutta Nikaya, section 104. And what is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of energy and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of energy? There are retreated! the element of arousal, the element of endeavor, and the element of exertion. So the same uh, that note were mentioned earlier on in the uh, context of uh, uh, the denourishment of uh, uh, sloth and torpor. torpor frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of energy and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of energy now this much in terms of uh, two applications of wise or careful uh, attention we could expand this by simply mm, reflecting carefully whether we we see or or there is some object or there's a variety of objects, and suddenly mm, some objects may uh, be uh, quite enticing, others might. Uh, Mm, easily uh, trigger the arising of ill will, and uh, yet others might uh, conduce to restlessness, etc. Or uh, maybe some object might attempt uh, a, a person to um, uh, transgress certain uh, ethical uh, precepts, and so on. So, when there is this possibility to then not just pay attention to whatever comes along but to do kind of a a pre-selection and then direct the attention to what is useful rather than directed to something that isn't all that helpful. So maybe this much in terms of that, as an answer to the first and the question, and you know then a second question related to wise attention is what is the relationship between wise attention and mindfulness? And then there's a second and a third question. Your Wise at or attention in general is, as stated, one of the universal mental factors, so it's a prerequisite for everything else. In the presence of wise attention, it's quite likely that some Uh, mindfulness uh, will also, uh, or will be uh, present in uh, the mind, or at least uh, why is it, well, let me see. Well, we can mm, mm, say maybe this much now that this wise attention allows for mindfulness to arise. Other factors might also play a role. And if the effort is satna then exerted towards something wholesome, in a wholesome context, then it becomes a right uh, effort. Which then uh, would be the answer to the second part here, the second question, uh, and what is their relation to effort, virya, and samavayana in the Panitna scriptural language? The third related question is how to avoid the risk of identifying with any of these and thereby strengthening or reinforcing the very sense of self which is to uh, dissolve. A tentative answer uh, to this part would be to um, simply be mindful of uh, the very uh, of and uh, then um, also of uh, effort, and uh, not to identify uh, with uh, those states, just see them as certain uh, mental factors uh, that perform a certain uh, function, and that's uh, that's all. If on occasion a sense of self comes into the picture and it becomes my mindfulness or it becomes my effort, etc., well, then be mindful of that and uh, be mindful of it and uh, know it's that nature. And in so doing, that sudden identification with it or referencing, self-referencing, then might suddenly gradually fall away. Now, the next question concerns the labelling in particular the purpose of it what is the purpose of labelling good question and how can one apply it how can one apply it skillfully without conceptualizing evaluating based on perception and previous experience and thereby narrowing the actual experience or even constructing it. So as an answer to the first question. So there's in total two here. Venerable Analayo, in his Bhikkhu Analayo, in his certain book Satipatthana, does uh, write about satna labeling, and certain he says that in the refrain part of Fatna the Satipatthana Sutta, it states mindfulness that there is a body, is established in the person to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous you know, mindfulness to occur. So the Pali term Eti, which is your uh, direct uh, quote unquote you know, marker, and uh, that usually comes at the end of a quote, you know, that indicates that direct certain speech is certainly used in the meditation instructions given in the Satipatthana Sutta, at least some of them. For example, we have one knows, I breathe in long. Or one knows, quote, I am walking, unquote. One knows, quote, I am feeling a pleasant feeling, unquote, etc. So that's um it uh, occurs certainly, quite sudden frequently the labeling during mindfulness satnet meditation can help, uh, so uh, Venerable uh, because uh, uh, continues to uh, state, help to strengthen clear recognition and understanding. And at the same time, the labeling introduces a healthy degree of inner atta- detachment, uh, since the act of Apostrophizing one's moods and emotions diminishes one's identification with them, and more on that in a uh, little uh, in a a moment. So when you manage to put into language or into a word. What it is that you are currently feeling, and early on you weren't quite clear about it. You knew something, you know something is certain, uh, is happening, something is not quite right, but uh, you don't find the right word for it. Well, mm, mm, before you find the right word, well, some uncertainty is certain there. The label when the label the right label is certainly found however then you know, this might set already drastically you know, change the situation. Now a scientific article that was published based on research of Fatna labeling, the function, the benefits of Fatna labeling. Now states Satna the following namely, putting feelings into words has long been thought to be one of the best ways to manage negative emotional experiences talk therapies have been formally practiced you know, for more than a century and although varying in structure and content are commonly based on you know, the assumption that talking about one's feelings and certain problems is an effective way or method for minimizing the impact of negative emotional events on current experience. Or another approach uh, has been uh, summarized uh, or summed up as putting pen to paper, namely Expressing certain states in writing, and that too has the benefits for mental and or has benefits for mental and physical uh, health. The title of you know, that research is "Putting Feelings into Words." This was you know, this was re- research done uh, by M.D. Lieberman, N.I. Eisen, uh, Eisenberger, M.J. Crockett, and a number of others um, at the uh, Atten Institute uh, at University of California, Los Angeles in 2006. And so that research shows you know, that. Effect labeling diminished the responses of the amygdala and other limbic regions to negative emotional images. Effect labeling produced increased activity in a single brain region that is certainly the right ventrolateral. Prefrontal cortex. or oh, it's a lateral Maybe as a one more you know, point in you know, the sudden context. When it comes to you know, objects in you know, the external world. No one or hardly anyone questions our constant activity to label or name the objects that we are referring to. When we talk about a tree, we will use the term tree. When we talk about a particular person, we will talk about that person by by giving his or her name or some other characteristic. So items are you know, being referred to by you know, their uh, by their you know, names or you know, concepts, and that helps you know, to clarify what it is that one is talking about. Now when it comes to the meditation practice, we are exploring the internal bodily as mental phenomena and rather than referring to everything that comes up as just phenomena, 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 which will not allow for much distinction, Um, So rather than doing that, we choose to deliberately then mm, state what that object actually is that we are experiencing. And even the most subtle sensation or the most subtle mental state, Names for those do exist. And those names or terms mm, are part of our common human property or (coughs) human vocabulary. And we might as well then make use of those certain terms. Now, at times, uh, there are people who... might not quite agree with you know, the labelling. Sometimes pointing out well, you know, when there's lab- the labelling of an object, that uh, you know, will interfere you know, with the knowing part of with the observation and the knowing part of knowing the nature of the object. But the amazing thing is that the mind does um, gain. Intuitive wisdom, and uh, even though this may go along with some amount of verbalizing uh, the uh, experiences, so these two are not necessarily excluding uh, one another. Now, of course, when we use the labeling, we want to uh, uh, use it with certain discretion. There uh, there will be uh, times when uh, so many objects arise uh, that uh, we the labelling is just uh, too slow, we uh, just don't manage to keep up with the flow of events and in that kind of a situation, the Venomasi side of Burma uh, recommended to simply temporarily drop uh, the labelling and uh, later on, when the flow of objects slows down, then to pick up the labelling again. And as for the concern how to apply the labelling skillfully without certain narrowing the actual experience or even constructing it, well then just trying to over time find the right set label for it near the experience. However, keeping in mind that mindfulness meditation is not about suddenly becoming great experts in finding the right words, but it's rather about being mindful of what's happening and uh, knowing the nature of the respective objects. Now, we want to keep the labeling as simple as possible, use simple language, uh, sophisticated language is not necessary, uh, what sadness so ever. And if on occasion one doesn't right away Especially at the beginning of a retreat, one doesn't quite find the right word for one's experience well. It's quite enough to choose a very general term, descriptive term, such as a sensation or maybe a mental object. And that would certainly then cover the experience. And over time, gain with the more experience, uh, then uh, the right certain words that will come to mind easily. And at that point, the gradually the the conceptualizing, the evaluating and so on becomes just naturally becomes less than object comes up, one immediately recognizes that is certain it's such and such an object and suddenly then the corresponding label comes up and suddenly that's it. If however you know, the experience is different from earlier experiences well then uh, one will have to uh, adjust uh, the label accordingly so to give you an example for that you start um, observing a pain uh, or a pain comes up you focus your attention on it you start uh, labeling it as in a general way as a pain Working with it for a while, you might notice, oh, this is a, a th- maybe a throbbing pain, and suddenly then, as you keep observing it, it changes into a burning pain, and suddenly then, you might want to change the label first from simply just labeling as pain, then to throbbing pain, and then to that burning pain so that's uh, uh, that that would be the way to go no that much uh, with regard to the labeling then The next practice question is as follows, even though there seems to be an understanding of anatta that is not just intellectual, the sense of self is still often strong and tormenting. And the question is, why? I'm tempted to ask you, in turn, why could that be? (laughs) If we happen to be 50 years old, and this is our first retreat, we look back at at least 48 years of uh, uh, well, uh, developing, uh, strengthening, developing you know, the sense and maintaining and uh, uh, protecting the sense of uh, self. So do keep in mind. Um, you're looking at a long period of time and it will take some time to gradually undo that habit of uh, the mind. Now, when we first Experience Anatta in our meditation practice in a very direct manner, well, then there will be just a few moments of that. For the for that time, you get the point, and then quite suddenly soon you know, the notion of anatta will re-establish itself, and then you'll have to deal with it certainly once again. And at that point, certainly the mind will fall into the usual pattern of wanting to defend the sense of self whenever it gets attacked, and to make sure it's a strong and or it's alive and certainly strong. And then, on occasion, another anatta experience will be there, and certainly uh, this uh, will deepen your uh, understanding a bit more. Mm, it will help to weaken the sense of self a bit, certain, uh, more. Now, if you keep uh, practicing, the mind becomes more and more, more and more. Mm, attentive to the presence or absence of a self. And the mind detects the notion of a self more easily and more frequently. As one's meditation becomes pretty refined. So this comes with weeks and weeks of, or even months of intensive practice. One might, while observing some predominant object, could be any object of observation, one might notice how uh, the sense of self comes in. So then it's my this or that object. And then one is mindful of that, and eventually, it suddenly dissolves. With that, one sees the forming and the unforming of the notion or concept of a of a self. So it takes it takes a while. This understanding also needs to be integrated into our uh, daily life and over time you know, things uh, become easier and even though one sudden sense of self gets attacked because you know, someone maybe attacks our you know, some of our pet views, the mind is okay with it. Well, it's just another opinion. So, uh, what, why take that too seriously? And there is no substantial self to speak of. So, why take it so seriously? Now, the next question then is, could you please explain more about satna, the corruptions, and uh, the corruptions or imperfections, the so called vipassana upakirisa, um, imperfections of insight, and why they are called satna This. Thank you. Maybe to highlight a few more aspects around uh, the the name itself the name for it, these satna 10 mental factors briefly to uh, mention them first so the first one is satna all basa, illumination. Then we have keen, sharp uh, knowledge. Then we have uh, rapture, joy. It comes in five different forms. Then uh, tranquility, uh, pasadi and pani. Then happiness, sukha. And uh, based on these, uh, then faith or, or determined, um, determined confidence arises. Um, Adimoka in the Pali, the scripture language. Next is Bhagaha, that strong effort. Then Upatana, which literally means establishment. So establishment of uh, mindfulness. It's a term, a reference to uh, mindfulness. And then we have equanimity as number nine, Upeka. And finally Nikanti. Nikanti is the Pali for attachment. Now, nine of fatna, those the first nine, are considered to be, in essence, wholesome states. The last one, nikanti, is clearly an unwholesome state. However, any of fatna, those nine imperfections, can, or nine nine mental states, can turn into an Imperfection, when one is attached to the respective experience, attached to the calmness, attached to this sense of ease, of well-being, of contentment, and so on. So it's even that, or a craving might arise, tanha for the experience. So one is looking forward to more of the same. Or mm, pride and conceit comes in, one has uh, uh, an experience of great calmness plus maybe some of the other uh, imperfections and uh, then the mind uh, goes, well, I must be uh, the top uh, uh, meditator in this group, or uh, ever to have arisen. Mm-hmm. And suddenly then the fourth you know, reason for uh, these mental states to turn into imperfections uh, could be of um, wrongful, of holding um, a wrongful view, namely that certain ones' experiences are. Um, are are, showing that one has gained uh, enlightenment, that one has gained the noble path of stream entry. When there is any one of those, so let's say, calmness arises and it arises together with attachment or craving or pride and conceit or a a wrongful view as outlined, then this will do what to the mind? It will purify the mind or pollute the mind. It will pollute the mind, obviously. And suddenly, a polluted mind is destined for progress in the practice? Not really. And uh, oftentimes what happens is that when already just a little bit of attachment or craving of pride and conceit, or you know, wrong you know, view, comes in. It leads to at least a stagnation in one's practice, and uh, possibly even worse than this, you know, to a literal you no know, or that one's practice is taking a nose dive, so a downfall in one's sudden meditation, and then. At least temporarily, these experiences of keen and strong, unerring knowledge and illumination and joy and tranquillity etc they stop occurring. And instead, retreatants find themselves in Dukkha land. So in the land of uh, painful uh, physical sensations, in the land of unpleasant, unwholesome mental states. So in other words, uh, usually it's the five hindrances. Now, that's kind of like falling out of Deva land. So you fall out of dewa-land and uh, you end up in dukkha-land. Now, is that a pleasant experience? It's not. And uh, the retreatants, when this has happened, when they come to the interview, oh, they are so discouraged and ready to give up. Now, mm, mm, all, all is not lost. What is needed is simply to quickly recognize my practice has dropped off a little bit. It doesn't, it's not all that much, you're not way back to point zero, unfortunately. And so then to quickly just recognize, oh, my practice has dropped off and then to go back to work. Work of continuity of establishing continuity of mindfulness of. Um, observing, challenging physical and mental formations with an attitude of acceptance, of patience, of determined uh, determined effort and detachment. And suddenly you will see that in no time the practice moves ahead again. And one will uh, regain those uh, um, wonderful states uh, that were present early on. Now, Another potential reason for calling illumination and certain keen and erring knowledge and uh, joy and tranquility, etc., calling these states, uh, or referring to them as imperfections, might be that when those states are uh, occurring in one's practice, the natural tendency is to hold on to them and to prolong these experiences as much as or as long as possible. And when one does just that, then um, which earlier understanding gets weakened? What's that? Anatta. Yes, good. And furthermore, anicca. anicca. Yes, impermanence. So, if earlier on, in the knowledge by you know, knowledge by comprehension, samasananyana in the Pali scriptural language, a you know, f- first and you know, a deeper understanding of impermanence, of dukkha, of, of unsatisfactoriness, and non-self, you know, did arise, you know, then. Mm-hmm. Uh, within just uh, a few uh, days of further practice, mm, th- that understanding gets weakened again. And so in the presence of uh, uh, calmness lasting for a long uh, period of time, uh, the notion of impermanence, uh, at least seemingly, uh, seems to, or the under- that understanding, uh, seems to uh, go down the drain. they might certainly be called imperfections of insight for yet another reason and this being an unskilled unknowledgeable retreatant will have all these wonderful experiences and certainly then out of a better understanding, will do what is natural to do, namely to get attached to these experiences. And so, so one by one the imperfections come come up, each one of them is just great and one just cannot get enough of them. And pursuing that path is what? It's Dukkha, or you can s- express it still differently. It's a dead end. <laughs> it will get you nowhere. And uh, your practice will stagnate, and that you'll be uh, experiencing the same thing over and over and over again. Now, this happens easily happens you now when retreatants do self retreats, so without any teacher nearby, because one doesn't because one doesn't know the unfolding of the path. One lacks certain the, th- the theoretical knowledge, the practical knowledge. One thinks, oh, these are great experiences and let me hold on to them. And that suddenly turns out to be um, an utter waste of time. So, the true path or the right path, as certain the Maga calls it is the path of simply returning to proper mindfulness and to be to label and to be mindful of any of those imperfections of insight. And so you just go back to, you do what you uh, you are uh, uh, supposed to do, and with this then, the imperfections will not last not all that long, and suddenly then your practice will move on. So it is a major juncture or a junction in you know, the practice, the Visuddhimagga you know, speaks of the purification of fatnet knowledge uh, of what is the path and what is not the path magga magga jnana dasana visuddhi in the Pali scriptural language now the next practice, certain question concerns certain of the breaking up of formations. The question is, what's happening when objects are breaking up? Is the breaking up in the mind? Is it happening in the mind? Is it in the object? Is it in both? Well, physical objects do not only arise but they also end or to use different language they also break up so it's the very nature of all physical formations to not only arise but also sooner or later to break up or disappear to disintegrate etc so, this breaking up, but you know, then ha- can be mm, observed in regard to bodily formations, but it can also be observed in regard certainly, to mental objects of observation. So any mental state or mental mental object, let's say a thought or an image, all these certain things, sooner or later, will end, will break up, will vanish, will be, will be shattered, and so on. And on top of this, we can say even the observing mind will be you know, breaking up. So if you look at a mental factor like uh, uh, mindfulness well, it will be there for a while or it arises, it will be there for a while and suddenly, owing to certain conditions, the mindfulness ends. Mm, and it breaks up it's certainly, uh, gradually it might certainly, uh, end quickly, it might certainly end certainly gradually. So the answer to this certain question would be the breaking up is happening with regard to both physical as well as mental objects of observation and the breaking up is also happening with regard to the observing mind and the factors that play a role there. Even consciousness itself is nothing permanent. We cannot speak of one continuous consciousness, but rather it comes in moments of consciousness. Each moment of consciousness arises and does what? It passes away. It breaks up. then the the question goes on is this unnecessary useless speculation no this much is okay but then sometimes it seems like elements are changing uh, changing form or proportion in a given object so that is a correct statement you look at a pain, it never remains certain the same it's or at first it may seem somewhat solid and unchanging, but over time that satna will change. And indeed, the composition of the four elements within a pain may change in many different certain ways. Now. The question then goes, or, or the yeah, the question goes on. Wind enters the tree, and suddenly the earth, the tree of the earth element, and it lifts it you know, to a new location. And heat dissolves suddenly the bark. Would that be useless specu- speculation? You know, worth investigating. Well. And seeing, seeing what is happening within oneself, or recognizing what is happening within oneself also in the world around us, it may come as a, a confirmation for our experiences. So just like there is you know, the dissolution of objects in you know, the material world around us, so too you know, there's certain dissolution of you know, formations within uh, us as human beings. So seeing both sides that might certainly help put you know, to um, more profoundly um, uh, grasp this particular aspect. Now, next question, is there such a thing as right perception, in brackets, seeing clearly what's called for in a given situation? Or are causes and conditions changing so quickly that such concept is invalid. And then it goes on, often I'll realize my perceptions in bracket, on and off the mat, are skewed or biased, but I don't know how to move towards greater clarity and wisdom. Any suggestions on this? Now, is there such a thing as right perception? Maybe in the case of an Arahant. But <laughs> that if we want to get to those certain certain perceptions that are you know, totally you know, free of any bias and in particular you know, totally free of the influence by you know, mental defiance, well this certainly will require an awful lot of practice. But mm, already as we're practicing and we're observing predominant objects a process of purification is taking place and a mind that earlier on was heavily polluted gradually becomes less and less polluted and suddenly with this then also our perceptions of objects suddenly will change maybe to add the mind overall when it's undergoing you know, mental development or it's you know, um, we engage in mental development bhavana, the mind you now becomes more and more trained and suddenly you know, with this it becomes suddenly you know, sharper and sharper and it appears that suddenly you know, meditators Who have uh, practiced a lot and have gone uh, really far uh, end up with extremely sharp uh, minds and uh, with this thing and quickly manage to uh, properly assess the situation. So if a person through the practice, has suddenly gained or a high level of intuitive wisdom, and with with this a high level of understanding about the workings of the mind, especially the failures of you know, the mind, the influence of you know, unwholesome mental states, etc. And sees you know, the need for wholesome states, then uh, that certain high level of wisdom will have a positive impact on you know, perceptions. Now, so the question is: certainly, yes, certain uh, perceptions are skewed. Mm, it's good to see this. Mm, and the answer in here how to work with you know, uh, these biased or skewed you know, perceptions would be simply just keep on you know, practicing mindfulness and certainly with this Gradually the mind will be purified more and more, more and more wholesome mental states will arise, the unwholesome ones will at least temporarily subside, and suddenly with this our perceptions will change. And Already in the discourse on perceptions yesterday, some of those changes of perception have been mentioned. So, maybe this much for this question. And Satna, then we're all. Oh my goodness. Maybe last question for now. Can the Anusya Kilesa. So, the. Latent mental defilements be er- eradicated by inside knowledge, by the jnanas, or only by the experience of nibbana. Now, The texts speak of three levels of mental defilements or three grades of you know, mental you know, defilements, namely transgressive defilements, so-called Makirisa in the Pali scriptural language, which are you know, the ones that actually, so the coarsest type of defilements, which actually lead to a transgression. Then we have the great of obsessive uh, mental defiance, the Paryotan and uh, Kilesa in the Pali scriptural language, and those uh, manifest only in the mind. So there would be thoughts of uh, desire, of desiring something, or thoughts of harming another uh, being, and sadness, so on. But they do not translate into uh, no, no, physical or verbal no, transgressions, and then the most refined no, grade of mental defilements, and comes in the form of the so-called annusia. and says, so your mental, uh, your dormant or latent uh, defilements, which means those are mental defilements that lie dormant in the mind that are inactive at that point. However, if some trigger mm, arises, could be exter- external or internal, those latent you know, defilements you know, then become activated, energized, and they turn into obsessive defilements. So, you know, and um, in the absence of mindfulness, they might even turn into um, transgressive defilements. Now, it is with the observance of um, a a code of ethical conduct that suddenly we overcome the transgressive defilement. So we don't suddenly do what suddenly would hurt other beings, nor harm ourselves. Then. With and also the same thing goes. We don't say things that are untrue, that are um, that involve backbiting, slandering, and harsh language, and gossip. We gossip. It is certainly by way of the training in concentration, Samadhi sikha in the Pali scripture language, that certain of those, you know, the obsessive mental defilements will be suppressed in you know, the stream of consciousness, but not yet eradicated. So temporarily you know, they're under control. And certainly it is only you know, through of the training in intuitive wisdom that the latent defilements which are most deeply instilled in uh, the mind that those will be eradicated from the stream of consciousness. And then a further distinction here. In the presence of mindfulness, the latent defilements will not show up Mm, they will not certainly uh, do harm, Mm, however ordinary mindfulness there will not be enough uh, to uh, fully eradicate this or that uh, latent defilement from the stream of consciousness and it requires uh, at least the realization of noble path and fresh knowledge the um, path knowledge of stream entry as well as then uh, the other uh, grades of or levels of realization now that's it. We've got uh, two more. One, two. Yeah, two more uh, practice-related questions, and I'll keep those certain for uh, the next couple of days, and I'll try to uh, integrate those as well as certain of the others that have not been uh, uh, mentioned at all. Allow me to. Uh, conclude by wishing. <laughs> uh, may the answers have. Uh, may the answers be uh, comprehensive enough. May they um, put to rest your uh, queries that you may have had uh, for the entirety of this certain uh, retreat. And then, uh, um, with uh, further, with strength and confidence, and goods, uh, and energy and effort, yes, uh, continuous mindfulness, and uh, uh, then. Focused, uh, uh, focused concentrated mind that may that much intuitive wisdom arise and may that wisdom turn into liberating wisdom that sees you know, the peace of Nibbana as peaceful and may this happen uh, while you're here at this uh, divorce refuge retreat and this is it so. If you have follow-up questions,